Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 28th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out, a very special edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm Dominic Dezuta, your host, and thank you so much for joining us. I say very special because we we have uh, David is back in town. We have a special guest joining us on the panel. You'll see why it is such a special edition. We're glad that you are here to enjoy it. Then let's get right to it. Democratic state lawmakers are proposing sweeping union rights for many public sector employees. The bill is facing opposition by many, including Governor Polis, who has said that he would not approve the bill as it stands right now and would prefer, quote, much narrow, narrower legislation. Patty Calhoun for Westford, we start with you. Uh, do you think the legislature will pull Governor Polis to the left this year or will it be the other way around? I think in this case, he will pull them in his direction. I think we all got a little overwhelmed by what happened with the King Super Strike, which we were just sitting here last week when they had said there was a settlement. They voted on it Monday. And the sentiments in favor of this strike compared to those of us who were around in 96, not our new person at the table, <laughs> but uh, people who were here in 96, people were so much more sympathetic to the strikers for a variety of reasons. The local seven was very smart in how they got out, the information about how much the Kroger CEO earned, but also just what the last two years had been for workers. I would say that of the workers that we've been concerned about, the public workers have gotten, in some cases, the better treatment. They've got more protections. They've gotten, you know, in Denver, you've got bonuses. So I think as the legislators look at what they can do with this, they will narrow it down. They don't want to take on polis in this case. There will be some, some new rights for public workers, but I don't think it will go anywhere near as far as orig originally envisioned. And join us via Skype as a preview. David Kopel is back. David Kopel with the Independence Institute and DU Law School. It's great to have you back, David. Happy New Year. Uh, I don't think this stance will probably change many Republican voters' minds uh, for Governor Polis, but I got to believe it might sway a few independents. Is this going to be a popular stance for Governor Polis this year? Yes, and it's part of his recognition that the legislature has gone way too far and uh, is, is out of touch with uh, a lot the, the middle of the road in Colorado. Franklin Roosevelt as president was the greatest pro-union guy in American history when he passed the National Labor Relations Act. He said the process of collective bargaining as usually understood cannot be transplanted into the public service. One reason he was right is that government creates monopolies or near monopolies for what it does. So it's not fair for unions with monopolies on essential services to go on strike against the public. In the free market, both labor and management have to work together to keep wages and work rules fair and reasonable. Because if they don't, the company will go out of business since prices would go too high. But government money comes from taxpayers who don't have any choice instead of from customers who do. Finally, government workers already have a great deal that very few others do. Even if they're poor performers, it's nearly impossible to fire them because of civil service laws. We're barely into David's first appearance of 2022. We already have a quotation from a president in the uh, uh, 20th century. Well done, David. It's wonderful to have you back. Also join us via Skype, Eric Sonderman, a longtime political analyst and columnist with the Gazette newspapers and Colorado politics. Eric, uh, it seems like one uh, a showdown with state Democrats, uh, state Democratic lawmakers, the Governor Polis, but maybe there's others on the horizon. The, the crystal ball isn't so crystal clear on this one. What do you think? 
Well, as good as it is to have David back, one of the problems of having David back is that he just quoted Franklin Roosevelt with the quote about uh, public sector unions, and that was going to be where I started as well. So uh, he stole my thunder on that. I largely agree with a lot of what has been said by Patty and by David. I think you have to distinguish, Dominic, between uh, collective bargaining in the private sector and in the public sector. Obviously, we have come very, very far from the 1930s and the days of FDR and that particular uh, quote, but the essence of it was not wholly incorrect at the time. In any tug of war between Jared Polis and this legislature, there'll be some give and take both ways. But put your money on Jared Polis, at least based on the last three years, he is going to pull the legislature in his direction far more than the legislature is going to be pulling the governor in, in, in their direction. Pub in days of old, public sector employment was looked at as being underpaid vis-a-vis -vis the private sector, underbenefited, et cetera. Those days are very largely gone. Para is a part of it, given the retirement benefits that public employees enjoy. Uh, but also, uh, just in terms of salary equity or more than equity, the public sector has long since eclipsed the private sector in many, many positions. And you just have to ask yourself, what is the particular need that is trying to be addressed here? Well, as I reference at the top of the show, it's a special edition for us because for the very first time, we we're able to feature uh, a champion from our Both Sides of Story series. So the champion of our 2021 Both Sides of Story High School Debate Series, Kalina Kulig. Kalina is a student at George Washington High School, the champion of our season last year. If you missed uh, any of the debates last year, do yourself a favor and go back and look at the championship match uh, with Kalina and another student from Cherry Creek, Masha Asuskaya. Uh, it, you'll be very happy you did, it was wonderful. Kalina, it is wonderful to have you here. Thank you for joining us. So as we look at this topic, as Patty mentioned, there are there's been a lot of union rights in the news. People have seen a recent strike. So it's on the people, on the citizens' minds. As you look at what's going down at the Capitol, what comes to you? Yeah, it's absolutely on people's minds right now. And I would say it's especially important to emphasize some of the reasons why these uh, employees are going on strike, especially because of the pandemic that we've seen and the bad conditions that people have to work in right now because of the impacts of that pandemic. And one of the reasons that I know my family um, decided not to patronize King Supers during that strike um, was because we did realize that the conditions there for the workers um, were not acceptable. And bringing in the public sector angle, um, I would like to build on what Eric and David said, that there is certainly an important reason why maybe public sector employees shouldn't have all of these rights enumerated, but there are also really clear benefits. Um, for example, the teacher strike that we saw a few years ago in Denver um, came with clear benefits like salary raises and smaller class sizes. Uh, a great point, Kalina, and I think you can see why we were looking so forward to this edition. Uh, let's get to our next topic. Mesa County is not the only place for clerk and recorder drama in Colorado. Secretary of State Jenna Griswold announced this week that she is investigating a potential security breach to find out if Elbert County clerk and recorder Dallas Schroeder copied a voting system hard drive. Meanwhile, Griswold filed a lawsuit last week to prevent County Clerk Tina Peters in Mesa County from overseeing this year's election due to her refusal to accept new state protocols. David, we start with you on this one. 
it really seems that uh, while I know we want issues like this to be investigated and potentially prosecuted if it deems that, we're seeing a whole lot of uh, Secretary of State Griswold in the news for this, and I don't know if that is going to color the situation beyond what is necessarily going to be investigated. What's your take? Oh, we've, even, an, even an unethical prosecutor sometimes goes after guilty people. Um, the Elbert County Clerk Dallas Schroeder is one of several elected officials who's suing Secretary of State Griswold. He's alleging uh, that some voting equipment wasn't certified and some election records uh, were, were destroyed. In that case, Schroeder filed an affidavit saying he, quote, made a forensic image of everything on the election server and saved that image to a secure external hard drive. Now, this was in advance of a 2021 computer update from Dominion Voting Systems. It's perfectly legal for clerks to make a backup copy of the system software, but there are procedures that have to be followed. And that means security about who's in the room and who has access to the computers. And there's also supposed to be video surveillance the whole time. The Secretary of State's office sent the Elbert clerk an order that he produced documentation about how the backup was made, and he ignored that. So now she sent him another order that he appear for a deposition to be examined under oath. Eric, as you're looking at this and we're seeing yet another county at least have questions, do you think Coloradans are going to, or do you think these are isolated cases or that Coloradans will begin to worry about actual sabotage? Well, I think there's a whole lot of question and worry these days, and most of it, the overwhelming share of it, needless about sabotage because both sides, but particularly the Trump-fed, Trump-led Republican side, is feeding that narrative. I don't think Dallas Schroeder is probably the ultimate in terms of a public servant, but long before this came on the scene, uh, six, seven years ago, as county clerk, where you do marriage licenses, he had a sign above the clerk station there, even though he was required to issue gay marriage licenses, uh, basically disparaging that whole institution and that whole idea. The problem here, and I wrote a column about it week before last, is Jenna Griswold is so political in her own right that even when she makes the right call, as she did in Mesa County and as she may well be doing in Elbert County, even when Jenna Griswold makes the right call, she has so little credibility because she is seen as such an overt, ambitious political animal. We really ought to get back to the old days in Colorado where you had secretaries of state who were not quite so political and consumed by political ambition. And that was the point I tried to make in my column. Kalina, it seems over the last few years, the whole idea of election security, both nationally and in Colorado, has been of premium focus, whether it be particular clerks and recorders or just uh, you know statewide. Um, what do you think about that issue and how citizens are looking at it? Thanks, Dominic. I think it's important to realize that going forward, there is a lot of concern about the security of our elections, be that at the national level or even right here in Colorado. And so we have to balance that issue of the concerns about security with political motives. And ideally, our elections would be conducted in a bipartisan fashion and in a way that all Coloradans can have confidence in. I also think this is especially important because Colorado is one of the few states that really emphasizes mail-in voting, which we've seen be especially necessary in the pandemic. And so the national spotlight is on Colorado, and I would love to see mail-in voting succeed, and I would love to see Colorado be able to set that example going forward. 
Patty, are this is this just the be, are we seeing just the beginning of the clerk wars? Well, a few clerks. I mean, one of the things is most of the clerks, and this used to be such a sleepy job. So did the Secretary of State. I mean, uh, the. So it used to be sleepy. Jenna has certainly changed that. We also had Scott Gessler, who is representing Tina Peters, too, who had changed it. But still, the office got the work done, and it's getting the work done now. Colorado has mail-in voting. Maybe it started out a little rocky because it was early, but it is great. It's an exemplary system now. We got such good turnout at the polls. There, were, there was no evidence in this state of any voter fraud. So I think we will see some remains of some fights, but for the most part, people in Colorado will accept that our system is working, and I hope more of the rest of the country picks it up. Little sorry that Mike Lindell has not shown up in the story, in the Elbert County story yet, but he could, you know, maybe Steve Bannon was there too. We're bound to hear a lot more as this unrolls. If Colorado politics brings us anything, as general, not the actual publication, but uh, there, there will be another chapter of this, and it will be wacky. Well, and to say, Colorado politics did, um, actually was the Colorado Sun, went and spoke to some of the Republicans who voted for those uh, amendments to the resolution that we talked about last week, and a couple did say, we made a mistake. We should not have agreed that the insurrectionists were wonderful, noble people and that we don't trust the Colorado voting system. So a couple backed up and good for them. El Paso County found itself in the political headlines twice this week. The El Paso County Republican Party is considering an amendment to its bylaws that would allow the party to banish members who are, who are caught opposing or violating the party platform. Meanwhile, the Office of Congressional Ethics recommended that U.S. Representative Doug Lamborn be investigated for accusations that he may have engaged in solicitation of gifts from subordinates and improper use of official resources. Uh, Eric, we start with you on this one. Um, the amendment to the bylaws in El Paso County has already been under criticism from Republicans, some Republicans in El Paso County. So is the swing to kind of a, a wacky right a mirage in El Paso County? You never know and you can never predict with the El Paso County Republican Party. Uh, this is an example of how one party government, whether it's one party Democratic government in Chicago or one party Republican government in Colorado Springs slash El Paso County, does not tend to produce or bring out the best in governance. Uh, El Paso County Republican Party is a model of everything Republicans should be doing if they truly want to not get back in the game in this state. The worry if you're a Republican in Colorado Springs has to be not that you don't still win elections, but that your margins have been narrowing and narrowing. And we saw that in 2020. And yes, you can still elect Republicans in El Paso County, but you lose statewide elections because you don't get these big margins coming out of places like Colorado Springs that you used to do. They thought it was a great idea to bring in Marjorie Taylor Greene for their annual dinner back a few months ago. Now this crazy loyalty oath. And Doug Lamborn, I'm running out of time here. All I would say is the citizens of Colorado Springs can do better. Kalina, as you're looking at this issue, and there's clearly a couple angles here, but especially when a proposed uh, uh, bylaws change, this kind of amendment, this is one county. I mean, it, it, there could be other counties looking at this as a good idea. There's clearly some Republicans that are critical of it. Uh, what do you think the impact of this idea could be? 
great question. I think that these bylaws themselves are a mistake, especially given the incredible variation in the opinions of Coloradans. I believe that representatives should be able to speak for their constituencies and not just their party. And I also think it should be understood um, in the national context that now the majority of voters nationwide identify as independents. And for that reason, I think we need representatives who can speak for all of us and who can really reflect the unique opinions of everybody that they're speaking for and not just carry the party line. Uh, Patty, there's, uh, again, like we said, a couple angles to this, but when we look at Representative Lamborn's office, their statement has said this is all about just one former disgruntled staffer, that really it, it's not that big of a deal. And do you think they'll be going to be able to set it straight? Uh, you know, because it, it doesn't seem like it's a, a big issue. Well, depending on what kind of errands he had his staffers do, which is one of the allegations. You know, it's very appropriate that El Paso County is trying to woo the space headquarters because these people are not on the planet with what they are looking for with the Republican Party. You already have a Republican Party that needs to grow, not shrink. You've got Dave Williams, who did not retract his vote from last week, coming on the right of land border, which you wouldn't even think is possible. But they are not on the planet when, the, when you really are looking at what most Coloradans want. David, it seems that issue-wise, the, the playing field is really tilted towards Republicans in Colorado this year, but we get headlines like this, like we see from El Paso County, that draw it to the other side where there, there isn't such an advantage. Do you think overall Republicans in Colorado will be able to overcome these other headlines and keep focused on issues that should go their way this year? Uh, probably is, because I don't think most Coloradans pay attention to politi party politics in counties they don't live in. The, the Lamborn case starts with a former staffer who's suing Lamborn for being fired. At the time, the director of Lamborn's district office wrote a memo saying the guy was fired because he was abrasive, belligerent, bad-tempered, hostile to constituents on the phone, and never showed regret or remorse. Later, the guy who wrote that memo began supporting the fired employee and now claims the man was a great employee. The allegations against Lamborn all come from these two. For example, they say that staff employees were stuffing campaign envelopes while they were supposed to be doing congressional work. Lamborn says that for the last 10 years, his campaigns have always contracted out for mailings with direct mail companies doing all the work, and the campaign finance records back him up, as they do on the other uh, allegations, the other records. Right now, the House committee is proceeding under Committee Rule 18A, which is to consider information. If the to go further, it would create an investigative subcommittee. Governor Jared Polis faced criticism from two different district attorneys this week. DA's Michael Doherty of DeBoulder County and Daniel Rubenstein from Mesa County said that Polis overstepped his bounds by reducing truck driver Roel Aguilera Medeiros' 110-year sentence to 10 years, especially considering the sentencing was under review. Kalina, when we look at this issue, we see that it is based on an original law that made that 110-year sentence mandatory. Even the, the, the first judge, before it even became an issue, said if he had the option of making it shorter, he would, but he was uh, stuck by that law. Do you think there's going to be some attention to that beyond what Governor Polis did? I hope that there is absolutely attention to that because on its face, such a long sentence seems absurd. And we also have to look at the reason why this case is getting attention at all. 
And that's because lots of people have gotten involved, um, even celebrities, and there have been petitions. And what I think it's important to consider is that, unfortunately, not every case will generate that level of public outcry. And not everybody will have that movement, uh, which I agree with, behind them. And so the real change here that needs to happen is a change to those laws that cause the sentence to be so long in the first place. Patty, uh, two very different DAs from two very different parts of Colorado agreeing on something. Is that significant? It's unusual. But in this case, what Polis did, the case was unusual just because of the huge amount of national attention it had gotten. Also, what it brought to light about the mandatory sentencing law here, which is absolutely needs to be looked at by the legislature, might need to be changed. Uh, but the biggest problem with what Polis did here, I mean, he is the governor. He has rights to commute sentences and to pardon. But in this case, what is unpardonable is his failure to talk to the victims, to talk to the prosecutors and the judges involved before people heard about it in the news release. David, do you think this is something that's going to stick with uh, Governor Polis considering it is an election year? Maybe in a, a slight way, but the the key point is you, you can criticize his judgment and that that's fine but the constitution is very clear that the governor does have this power and it's not limited to being exercised only after a certain time it's the article 4 section 8 says the governor shall have power to grant reprieves commutations and pardons after conviction for all offenses except treason so it really doesn't matter at what stage he exercises that that's his constitutional discretion Eric, I, I'm sure that uh, by making this commutation uh, earlier, Governor Polis was hoping to, you know, with a simple signature or, you know, pressing a button, I don't know what it was, to just shut everything down. But it's certainly uh, not shut down. He's going to be hearing about this for a while. Do you think this will have a long tail for him? Oh, I think it will be one issue among many that Republicans and whomever his Republican opponent is that they bang him on. I don't think it's ultimately going to be decisive come this fall. I agree with Kalina's point about all those cases we don't hear about. I also agree with a good deal of what Patty and David have said, particularly Patty in the sense of the governor was within his rights doing this. There's no question about that. And I also regard the district attorneys as doing a little bit, maybe a little bit excessively encircling the wagons at this point. Uh, but Patty was right that the governor could have communicated better with those impacted uh, parties. I think if there's a real question mark about this whole thing, it goes to the Jefferson County District Attorney for what certainly to me looks like an overcharging of this gentleman, knowing that these consecutive sentences would be called for, and the district attorney, the prosecutor has discretion and could have done something other than this gross overcharging, which set this uh, whole chain of events in motion. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. I had brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and now it looks like we've got a new chapter in the long-running saga of El Chapultepec, which closed back in December 2020, a really beloved institution. Family wanted, didn't want to run the jazz club anymore, so the building went to the owner, who had leased it to Valente Corleone, uh, which is the name he goes by, who's had a lot of trouble with the city about various clubs he's opened. He just gave the keys to El Chapultepec back to the owner, so and there is no lease on the building. Let's see if we can't resurrect a true, a truly wonderful tradition. The family doesn't have to do it, but maybe we can bring jazz there under another name. Here, here. 
David, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Uh, the Denver School Board is working on a new policy to crack down on innovation schools. Colorado state law says that innovation schools must have, quote, maximum flexibility and, quote, a high degree of autonomy. But the Denver board wants to take that away so that innovation schools couldn't have a longer school day and so the teachers can't work with students outside the classroom. Eric, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. David, how short-sighted can you be? You really expect innovation schools to be innovative? I mean, what's the world coming to at this point? Uh, shifting gears, my disgrace. Anyone out there who is purveying this notion of electoral fraud, obviously the Republicans in this state, Donald Trump is a nonstop drum on this. I would add to that, he's not the main culprit, but Joe Biden did not do himself any favors in his press conference earlier this week or a week ago when he referenced or at least flirted around the notion that if the voting rights bill does not pass uh, in a manner that he approves of, that these elections in 2022 could be suspect. Kalina, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Thank you. Um, the Winter Olympics are coming up, but unfortunately those are being held against the backdrop of human rights violations in China. And I think that there are really, really significant concerns, everything from the possible censorship of the internet and cell phones all the way up through a genocide of that country's Uyghur Muslims. And so I would encourage all of the viewers to look into that and decide if it's worth it to patronize the Winter Olympics in any way. Time to say something nice about somebody, Patty. Two very different men who did so much for Denver, Ricardo Martinez, who co-founded Padres Unidos, and Les Shapiro, who is in hospice right now after a long fight with lung cancer. Great sportcaster and a really good guy. Here, here, and someone who has a history with Channel 12. He, he hosted our one and only sports talk show years ago, Sports Zone. Uh, we, we certainly send our wishes and uh, best thoughts to him and his family. Uh, David, we go to you for your Say Something Nice. The people of the Ukraine who are preparing to resist imperialist dictatorial aggression. And Eric, we go to you for your Say Something Nice. This one is very easy. The panelist who comes right after me, Kalina, what an impressive job. I was fortunate to be one of the judges when she won the both sides of the story uh, final competition. And to be on this program with us today has added Immeasurably, I am going to steal a note from Donald Trump. I do want to see a birth certificate because I believe with that maturity, it's impossible that she's truly just a high school senior. Here, here, uh, Eric, I uh, agree wholeheartedly. And Kalina, the floor is yours for your say something nice. Thank you. Um, that's very sweet. And my something nice is going to be a shout out to all of the medical professionals who are getting us through the Omicron spike. And I will echo the sentiments of my friend Eric Sonderman about uh, Kalina. What a, uh, we were looking forward to this for so long. It was a great idea from our producer, Al Neff, and it was so wonderful to have you here. Thank you. And congratulations again on a wonderful season of Both Sides of the Story. If you have not checked it out, please do yourself a favor and do it. You will uh, be very happy that you did. That is all the time we have for this week's Colorado Inside Out. On behalf of everybody here at PBS 12 and our entire cast and crew, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week. Good night. Thank you.